0: This week, Three Sides of the Coin, this is probably our absolute favorite interview we've ever done in over 10 years. Yep. We're joined by Timothy Bogart, who is the son of Neil Bogart, and we are joined by Joyce Biowitz, who was co-manager with Bill Coyne of KISS and then married Neil Bogart. They sit down for nearly two hours and talk Spinning Gold, Casablanca, and Kiss. This is
1: Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things Kiss.
2: I
3: want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin.
0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. You got all four of us, and we're going to end up having six on this interview we're not going to do any housekeeping. There's no, there's no Let's comments. Let's get this there's rig no, rolling. You just want to sit because not only are we joined by Timothy Bogart who wrote and directed the movie Spinning Gold and is the son of Neil Bogart. Un, unknown Russ. at the last moment we are joined by Joyce Piley. Do you know her place in history, people? And her place in history. You should. In history, in Casablanca history, oh, she sits down with us. Tim and Joyce sit down with us for nearly two hours and talk about Casablanca and KISS. Amazing. Just let it roll.
3: Speechless. Yep. And we're going
0: to see you at the end because we went all fanboy and fangirl over this one. Mm-hmm. But also, don't forget, Spinning Gold, March 31st, yep. nationwide. Go check it out. It really is. It's an Insane incredible great. movie about Neil Bogart.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support.
0: Three sides of the coin. We are we're, we're, we're already speechless because this was going to be an amazing interview with Timothy Bogart, who is here. And at the last minute, Tim said, would you like to have Joyce join us? And of really? course. Yeah. So thank <laughs> oh you. God. Thank you so much, Joyce, for taking some time out to join us. Thank you, Tim. Yes. Um, I think my, the first, the first thing we have to say, cause we've, Watched the screener of the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Amazing. Love and, it. And, and,
0: and we're Loved not it. saying that to just kiss up because you're on the show. It was an incredible story of Neil. And, 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 and yesterday I said this to Tim in a different interview. The first thing KISS fans have to change in their mind is this is not a movie about KISS. No, nope. This is not a KISS movie. They're part of it but so are many other artists. This is a movie about Neil Bogart and who Neil Bogart was. And once you change that frame of mind, this movie makes so much sense and is so amazing in, in revealing the person that Neil is. Because I think up until this movie, fans just have this impression of neil based on maybe what gene would say paul would say media might say but i think this really tells who he is as a
4: person
5: oh, yeah, cool. yeah.
4: Was, how brilliant he was
5: <laughs> well he says it he's just no you all you know all these acts yeah. you know i may not have been as talented as them or mean as much as them but you know, I made your dance. Well, he did more than that. He really created a soundtrack from bubble gum and, and all of those R&B things. And, you know, hey, Charlie Daniels was on Buddha Records. There's so much that, yeah. you know, Tim talks about, he, he had to get rid of. This is a sculpture and not a painting, a huge sculpture, and he had to keep carving it out. There's a lot of amazing stories, but I think that the ones that are in there really kind of tell the picture. And that's, you know, that's what the important thing is.
0: Yeah, and and,
4: and, and, uh, go ahead, Tommy. I was just going to say one of the most interesting things for me as a fan was to see what he was like because I never got a chance to meet him. And I also was really taken by his – how he – he wasn't just a businessman. I mean, he loved the music. And the whole thing surrounding Donna Summer and how you created that or he created that image was fascinating to me because I didn't know any of that before.
5: <laughs> I don't think anybody you know knew any of that. That's the reason one of the reasons for this movie you know, is
0: one, one, one of the one of the lines that came out of the movie, and I think it was probably said more than once and it is really true is he created the soundtrack of our lives. You know, we 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 were all kids growing up during the 70s. And this is this is music that we didn't realize back then was going to have such an impact and
5: last forever. Right. Who would have thought that what we we didn't think about that. We were recording uh, you know, artists that we believed in, that we were fans of. And Casablanca was not only a family, they, we were fans of these people. We appreciated their talent on such an intimate level because we were working with them every day. And they were included in, you know, in, in the family. Those that left and went to a different uh, record company. Called me afterwards and went. Wait, we didn't. We thought everybody treated all the record companies treated us like this. That we were over for Sunday night dinner, and that you know uh, I used to show up at rehearsals for Donna at Sir Studios here with Tim and Brad and Jill in tow with their homework, and mm-hmm. Jill. While I did rehearsals with Donna, and Jill would you know run around in the in the costumes and the shoes, and you know, this was this was life. The kiss would come over for dinner, not with no makeup, just hang out. Joyce, Joyce. Joyce. Things...
4: Oh,
2: really quick. Mike. I wanted to, was for, was it artistic license in the movie or not? <laughs> i never knew with uh bill of coin. Did you had to fake to be his girlfriend or?
5: Oh, that's a very big story. And on Monday night, I'm doing a panel with a, um, a women's big music industry, women's organization international. i would
2: never even heard that rumor and,
5: before. And, and, uh, you know, it's going to probably be something that comes up for sure with this group. Um, no, he, when I say you were the, my best, you know, non-boyfriend ever. Yes. Bill was gay when we did production and we did a television show called Flipside. That's how we <laughs> met everybody. Um, the crew would not have worked with him as a gay man. Oh. And, and he didn't come off like he was a gay man, you know, whatever he was, very smart and funny and fabulous. And and so he needed that protection and I needed that protection, literally needed that protection. It wasn't a career that I had or, you know, and I don't think it was because I was was such a, a, you know, a a killer chick. It was because this is what it was. It was the price of doing business back then. And that kind of protected me. Interesting. Interesting. If somebody hit on me and I'd say, oh, Bill, you know, whatever. And they'd go over and they'd apologize to Bill. And Bill couldn't understand. He'd say, why are you apologizing to me? Apologize to her. No, we were, you know, we had a, a, a really wonderful friendship. We were like brother and sister and um, really operated like that. There's a scene where, in the movie where Kiss is demanding a, you know, a, a, a renegotiation or whatever. And I love that Tim held on Bill's face. Because what he got was, oh, my God, I have just split up this marriage with Joyce. This is this wasn't. Yes, it was personal. And you know it. She (laughs) says, oh, yes, this is not okay," And he knew. But, you know, he had to choose the group at that point.
6: And for him, he he had to make that choice. Yeah.
0: uh, Joyce, can you can you talk a little, too, about the the tensions that were created once kiss realized their manager was now dating and marrying the record label
5: all right so tim can i blow this one a little out of the water (laughs) (laughs) because they always knew i brought the tape to him when he opened casablanca so you know this was no secret he and i went to magic places together to get all of their things we got the the, those dog collars from the pleasure chest next to my apartment in the village, they were, you know, certainly Bill, I mean, you know, Bill and I did flip side and we did television commercials for Neil and we worked with Neil on all these different things. He he knew what was going on. This was, it was, it's wonderful drama for the movie. And, and it says the resentment that did build up, even though, You know, I was the person who would sit at the agency and and wait for three hours till they give me a check for the next tour and tell them I'm not leaving. I'm going to go home with you until you give me money. I got to get my my act on the road. You know, they realized it. But, you know, at a certain point and they were influenced by others that they needed to. And this happens with so many acts. They needed to 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 take a stand on their own. And that's what they did. Fortunately, it worked out for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, You know. Yeah. Joy,
0: you know, I I asked Tim this question yesterday. And I'd love to get your take on it. Um, would KISS have worked with anybody else other than Neil Bogart or Casablanca?
5: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. As you know, Warner Brothers couldn't stand them. They thought they were ridiculous. They didn't get it at all. And even their agency, their agency, ATI, they would say to me, no one will let them open for them leave the equipment home take off the makeup and i kept saying you don't get it do you this is what the kids love and it's also the music is great but this is the whole show we're into a show now it's different nobody's sitting in their garage playing to their amps nobody cares about those people that are doing that you know uh i I think some
4: well, do you think some of it, though, is at the time, maybe a lot of the record people in the business were much older, so they were having a harder time understanding the change?
5: I think they were having a hard time understanding the whole change from Woodstock on. Okay. You know, so many of them there, you know, from the record industry in Woodstock, it suits. <laughs> it's like, where are you guys? What are you doing? You know, I, in a way, I came from a different generation. I was really a hippie. I mean, I was that thing because I was a lot, a little bit younger than this crew. You know, not much, five years, six years.
4: That can make a huge were, difference.
5: But they were a different, they were a different generation. You know, Neil was one of the ones who was, he got it. it was like, okay, wait, I see what, you know, what, what the youth is into now, what, what you know, where the music is going and it's terrific. But that, there was a big sea change around then. I mean, I came into the industry, though, all the original guys were at their uh, companies, like Jack Holtzman was at Electra and, uh, Joe and Joe and Mo were at Warner Brothers. I mean, they were all, everybody was there. Clive Davis was at Columbia at the time, it's called Columbia. Um, we had them all do things for Flipside, that was a show where the record company presidents hosted. So that's how Neil got involved. He did the pilot and Florence Greenberg, who for many years, probably 20, was the only female record company president ever in the business, Scepter Records. They did the, you know, they did it. But music was changing, you know, and Neil was into it. Look at Curtis Mayfield and Superfly and, you know, all of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the
2: things that, 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 uh, Tim said in the movie or, or you know is in the, the part of the movie is something my co-hosts will tell you I say all the time I always say if you don't like Kiss it's because you didn't listen to them mm-hmm. and I love that part of the movie it, you know when they're talking about Alive and not having hits and Neil says these were great so you just didn't know it yet mm-hmm. and then I thought and I'm like thank you that is exactly <laughs> what I've been preaching my whole freaking life well, These songs are great.
5: They are. They are. And you know what? Neil didn't sign them after seeing them. He did sign them after seeing them, but he wanted to sign them when I gave him the tape. He had not seen them. It wasn't about the visual. It was about the music. Amen. Always I say about it, oh, love that. So, you know, the film actually, I mean, he says that, and you know, it wasn't the music. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh
4: was was some of it. Go ahead. Sorry,
5: there's one other thing, and, and we had talked about this the other night. The other reason, you know, the, the difference today is that people are not giving acts time. When Neil says in the movie, Jeremy Neal says in the movie, I just needed more time for you to hear it. You know, in those days, and think Bonnie Mitchell had six albums out before she was a hit. Yeah. You know, people. Believed in their acts, and they stuck with them. You know, uh, when when it became so corporate, you know, the other reason that it couldn't happen is there are there isn't the independence today, an independent vision like Niels. There's uh, there's not a lot of room for it that I know of. You know, maybe Evan Bogart can give you a whole other thing because he's right in the middle of it. But uh, they're not giving the same amount of time artists to develop for the fans to develop uh, a, a connection with them like you had with kiss it didn't happen overnight
0: no it, it, it Listen,
5: didn't we toured that country four times before all of you went oh kiss <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i was lucky here in detroit you guys you guys uh I oh, remember. Yeah. Clint. god yeah that was uh you got, there was something special everybody knew about kiss you know it was just the thing in school
5: Yes, well, that's really nice. My husband and my dog have just joined the podcast.
4: That's okay. (laughs) Okay.
5: Well,
4: one of the the things I was curious about is I had watched the Bee Gees documentary and they were saying that they were in the studio and they just kind of happened upon that falsetto thing that was working for them. Was some of that at Casablanca where... How did you figure out like with Donna Summer and uh, Parliament and all these, because they're all different, vastly different acts with different types of music. How did, how was Neil able to look at that and go, yeah, I think this is going to work?
5: Because each artist was true to themselves, because each one was talented. Each one had a vision that was unique, you know, and, and uh, he got into that vision with them and worked with them to make that happen. So yeah, it was a company that you know it wasn't all disco and it wasn't all rock and it wasn't all you know uh, George whatever George was at the time, <laughs> but you know he's now the most sampled man in showbiz. Yeah, George. and has an art career now. I just saw his art show here at Jeffrey Deitch Gallery. I mean, I, he's amazing. He's amazing, and that whole that whole crew, Bootsy and. Uh,
0: You know, Joyce, I think one of the favorite I took a wrote down a whole bunch of notes and quotes as I was watching the movie, because there are so many great lines, so Mm -hmm. many great lines. One of them that really hit me because I had to go back two or three times. And I think it sort of explains everything we've just been talking about was and I can't remember which character was it. Was it I think it was Neil who did say this. We are not wrong. We just haven't figured out a way how to be right. (laughs)
5: that's right that's neil yeah that's neil and you you needed the time you know listen when we met donna we knew what her voice was like i actually said to her when i first saw her in munich you know you're in a disco thing now but we're going to get you a television show you're going to go to vegas she was a major talent we watched her sing in uh she (laughs) went with her to a show in amsterdam it was i think it was christmas eve or something new year's eve And people were just, she had no orchestrations. Neil had to orchestrate the thing and I had to throw the lights and whatever, but nobody cared because the voice was unbelievable. And then at the end, everybody was standing and screaming for her. And I said, do you have any more material? She said, no. I said, do you know White Christmas? She said, yes. (laughs) I did 10 10 times White Christmas and people were not leaving. And I thought, "Mm, major talent here. Plus she had that something... And that's what all of these acts had. You know, when you see someone with that kind of talent and drive, they kind of glow. There's something about a star that has it. I can't tell you what it is because it's individual for each thing. But in the old days, I used to go and watch the lounge acts in Vegas when Donna was playing there. Or we had other acts, Beck Davis playing there. They were just as talented, but it wasn't, you know, when, when Gene walks into a room, where Paul walks into a room, or Donna walks into the room. The whole room stops and goes. Boo! There's something about these people. You know, George certainly, because you can't take your eyes off. Joyce, of <laughs> okay, oh, they're very special. There's something special going on there, and Neil could pick up on that in about two seconds. Joyce, what, what do you,
0: what do you think, and what would Neil think of Kiss? still doing this 50 years later.
5: Oh my God, you'd be laughing. Listen, it, it, it's amazing, right? Who who thought of this? I mean, I got a call from somebody who was doing their thesis on disco and asked me what the, what the, um, what was the meaning of disco bells? And I thought, come on, <laughs> but I had to be very nice to them because they were doing their thesis on it. It's the same thing. It's I mean I think the music that we made in the 70s because it had time and because we found these individual people and also because it was coming off of the 60s where people really found their individuality and we really had something to say that this music is something special that I don't know that will ever get replicated certainly today it's a little more difficult it's very pop you're not getting the same you know listen when I remember when FM radio came on ooh, where you could actually play a cut for more than, you know, a minute 36 or whatever it was that was going on. Alison Steele, The Nightbird, uh, New York, you know, it was we were glued to that. My generation was glued to that because it was like they had something to say. They were talking for my generation to quote the song. You know, this was it. Um, And I think that those statements are so clear and they're so real that they're still Today, I mean, all of my kids have tried to steal all of my albums over the years. I had to put a lock and No, Bradley, that's yeah. not record. Stop it. So, yeah, no. I mean, it's like the. But I think it's amazing that they're still going. Hey, ladies and Gene has some kind of tour he's doing right now that you that you can get in on. I don't know what Paul's doing.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's sorry. that thing at Vegas that Vegas. they're doing, and then he's and, and, doing the thing next December in England.
0: He, oh, he's, yeah he's, yeah. He, yeah record with him at Abbey Road well, yeah. I love
4: why not
5: I think that you that you know you get to take him out by his boots from some studio or some you know, know. Why, why not you know our, our good friend Bert Backrack just passed away he was he was still in the recording studio like the week before he died you know and he was the late 80s for God's sake these people, they hear the music. They live the music, but the music—it's coming from them, and they can't stop it.
1: You
5: know, uh, this is this is something that's just—that's what it is. And people, and you relate to it. You know, let
0: let me let me ask you kind of a a a deep kiss question here. So All back right. in seventy three, did you see Kiss as characters, as people? Because obviously, as we know now kiss exists with only gene and paul the other two characters have been replaced by tommy thayer and eric singer and there's always been discussion over the years that sure why can't you replace gene and paul and just continue on with the right attitude how (laughs) is that how, how did you view that back in the 70s was that even a
5: consideration kiss got in touch with us bill and i did that show we had we had um Direction Plus, which was our our production company, and we did that television show Flipside. And they figured out, along with other groups, that we knew every record company president quite intimately in the business. And they called us to come down and see them, you know, which we did. But they didn't look like, you know, they had just come off of being Wicked Lester, for God's sakes. (laughs) This was not Kiss as you know it. This was t-shirts and some black fake leather pants and some makeup, but it didn't look like that. They had the idea and they had the logo, which I was very impressed with as a branding person. I love that. Um, but they had the whole idea of what they wanted to do, but that wasn't, that wasn't them. You know, We were clicking people in at the beginning. Oh, look, we got 150 people in the club, um, but the music was there and the personalities were there. You know, and Jean and Paul were the driving force. I don't think you could replace them and still have Kiss. It wouldn't be Kiss. I don't think. That's me. Yeah, it's
3: you know?
6: what, interesting about, you know, th- that as it relates to how we tried to capture exactly what Joyce was just saying in the movie, um, is with each one of the artists, we wanted to show their journey to finding themselves. And so, you know, uh, you know like the, the conversation we're having about music before we started, um, and choices in the film, you know, I knew by not having the final 1977, 78 makeup, there was gonna be people going, well, that's not right. But I remember Gene telling me vividly, the, 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 the grease makeup was so awful. It would hit the light, it would melt, and they were constantly trying to figure it out. So we very much wanted to capture how they became who we now know and love. And so in those early years, in that first party in 74, It wasn't all there. And it was T-shirts. It wasn't. And so, and when Gene and Paul helped our our design team, they actually generously gave time to the production designer, the costume designer. They were the first ones to say, that's not what it looked like. And, And we want to show that we were figuring out each step of the way and to some degree to show how hard they worked, how deeply they believed in finding that vision. But the movie doesn't start where Kiss you know, becomes the movie starts at the very origin tale. Um, And and exactly. And all, you know, I I get, you know, the movie from all these extraordinary stories from, from, from lots of people, but most, you know, foundationally from Joyce. And, and, and we spoke about that endlessly, about what it was like her trying to help him with the makeup in the back room.
5: Well, here's a couple for you. All right. Cause you know, Paul had that like mask on for a while. The The bandit. They had to, I, (laughs) I, Coming from film and TV and writing and stuff, I said to them, okay, let's do the backstories of your characters. Who are you? They were like, what? I said, no, no, sit down with, I think, Susan Mineo from PR. Then we sat down and we started to write who the, who is the cat man, who, who is the space man? Who are you? What are you doing? You know, you don't have to make it a 25 page thing, but tell me about your character so we can develop that character of who you, know, of, of who you wanna be.
1: That's brilliant.
5: Yeah, also because, you know, everybody, oh, Gene was, of course, he's the one who spits fire. Really? Well, we had just painted our office. Tim knows this story. We had it just- made, This had didn't make
6: it in the movie for lots of reasons, but this is a no. great- Tell the story slowly. This is a great story. Okay.
5: So Bill and I, we had an office with Howard Marks, who was another partner of ours, and we had just had the walls all painted white. It was gorgeous, and we had these great couches, and we were like, ooh, we have a real office. Anyway, so- I had found this guy called presto the magician who could do fire tricks we had gotten into the flash paper which neil you know (laughs) Tim has neil use all the time which he did by the way that's not made up um and uh and we got all this stuff from presto he was on like 47th and broadway or something and um so we had him come there to show and he did it he showed us how to do it and none of the guys wanted to do it this is not an easy thing to do So we looked at them and we said, come on, one of you have got to go. And Gene went, all right, I'll do it. So he got up and he did it. And when he was finished, the entire white wall was black. (laughs) He had He looked at me like, I'm sorry. I said, it's okay. It's only pain. Uh, No, all of those things kept changing. You know, uh, Peter going up on a drum riser for the first time. That's frightening being up there 10 feet. Can I tell one more story about Peter and the Drum Riser? It's a great one. Please, please, please. yes, made we're all ears. How you is, got? He, so we're in. Oh, I don't know. It, we're, let's see. It's Cle, it wasn't Cleveland, but it was someplace around there. Okay, and we're in a club, and it, and it was really early on. The club holds about three thousand people, but it was very low ceilings. Okay, so it's three thousand people, and I forget who we were opening for was not an act we should have been playing with. Um, When they announced Kiss from New York, the whole crowd booed. (laughs) I'm with all these promotion people and radio DJs and they're all looking at me and Neil's going nice. I thought, okay, great. So they play the set by the third song, this crowd is going nuts. All they want is Kiss. They don't want the closing act. They want them to keep going and keep going. Peter goes up on that drum riser, the flash pots go off. And unbeknownst to us, Peter falls off backwards off of the drum roll because he passes out from all of the smoke. Thank God behind him was Junior, this enormous uh, uh, road manager that we had. who mm-hmm. caught him, opened up the back walls and put him outside there. But now the crowd is going crazy. They're shouting, they're screaming, they're stamping. And Neil's looking at me, he's like, where is your group? And it's usually Bill, who was backstage there, and I was out front doing whatever with the audience and the and the promo guys. And now I'm making my way through this crowd. <laughs> making fun. I finally got there, and there's Peter, like, gasping for breath. On the... I said, you got to get up. You have to do it on court. <laughs> said, Sorry, guys. Get up. Get back here.
4: Oh, well, that's fantastic. We, oh my
5: lost God. Him. we had a couple of those things where we almost lost uh, uh, the... Members of the group or the group in the lawsuit before we even started because of all that pyrotechnics. Ooh, dangerous. The, stuff flash,
2: pop, the flash paper thing, what what show was that? That was it. where Gene got that in the kid's face?
5: Oh, what? I don't know if you want to talk about that because that kid may be hearing this. Oh. <laughs> still Not my problem anymore, but Gene. Um, no, it was, um, yes, it was, uh, well, it was New Year's Eve. That was it. Oh, God. Academy no, of Music At the Academy of Music it's like eight freaking o'clock I mean and I'm there with kids who are throwing up already in the bathroom and I'm thinking I'm a grown woman what am I doing with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but once again I'm in the audience and Bill's on the stage and it's going well everything's great and then Gene throws off one of these things it wasn't even we had like flash bombs it wasn't even flash paper it was like it's supposed to go up in the air and go whoo and it hit this kid in the face well we were calling attorneys we were giving him all kinds of kiss merchandise we were the group was me it was we got i mean he eventually we got a doctor from him. he was fine he really wasn't it was like more of a little kind of burn but i th- i said to bill oh good we're done before we even start <laughs> <laughs> it's over now I think We opened even before the dolls, we were so low on the totem pole that night. I don't even remember who you probably the name's not,
2: a, their name wasn't even on the on
5: no, yeah, no. I'm telling you, it was like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this on this is where I am, New Year's Eve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tim, Tim, can you and Joyce talk about the song Beth and how the movie is portraying the story and the origins of Beth? Because as Kiss fans. That doesn't go with the KISS version of Beth, that makes sense. Oh,
5: who believes them? Listen up. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read all those books? I haven't, but I mean, (laughs) because I read some and I go, really? Okay. Anyway, no, that is the version of it. Peter wrote it for Lydia. Yes. Lydia is not a good song thing. Lydia, I hear you calling. (laughs) So- no, they but and they changed it to Beth and they probably did it with a little, you know.
6: <laughs> with but a you know, G- but Jean has said often and, and loudly, you know, how no, the whole song the song was always Beck. Um and and then right. made, and made, yeah, fun, yeah, and so, made fun and made fun of Peter going, you know, it sounds like you're in love with Jeff Beck. Um, but it really was Lydia. That's where <laughs> Peter wrote it. Um and you know, and and you know, in my conversation with Peter over the years about all this stuff. Um, you know, what was really important about this story and, and what I really strive to do in the movie was provide people, provide everyone, uh, you know, a love letter and, and, a, and, a, and a real entertaining, um, you know, uh, flashback to, to a time. But for those people who, who had a real connectivity to these characters in this moment to give them something new and to give them something they hadn't heard. And certainly knowing the Kiss fans, um, I, I always thought... That song that changed their history. Mm-hmm. It's critical to finally tell right. And, and I know that it was something that Peter carried with him for forever about the fact that Gene and Paul hated that song. They hated. That song, they said, we will never put that song out. It doesn't sound like Kiss. We're not going to do it. They made fun of Peter incessantly. And then my dad ends up getting the the strings in the recording session. They don't even go to the recording session. They, They thought it was a joke. They didn't like it. And then, of course, the fact that it becomes the song that changes everything, ultimately. And I get why they have written history to embrace that moment as their own, but but it was not their own. It was the furthest from their own. Um, it was the song that changed everything that uniquely was not of Gene and Paul. Matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. Um, and that yeah. was very important for Peter to finally have that story told. Um, and you know, as a filmmaker and a storyteller, I thought that was important for Kiss fans. But I also thought it was important to understand um, you know, the, the larger context of... of who that band was and, and what those inter- interactions were. And we all know that ultimately Peter, you know, eh, does some things in his personal life that, that become justifiable for, for why that, that band perhaps couldn't have gone on the way it did. But some of that antagonism happened earlier um, uh, between the guys. And I think it's, I think history or history has sort of been written that it was the <laughs> substance abuse and, and that's really what it was, um, and I don't think that's the whole story. And, and so, you know, we really wanted to tell that story uh, that was important. Um, and, you know, the fact that they changed it to my mother's name, when, you know, <laughs> this relationship was going on, that, that, that's what happened, but it was not Beck. That's that, Gina's just the gene is just not. So when, when, else. when,
0: when, when Neil heard it and it was Beth, he truly was like mad that they were writing a song singing about her because that's how I interpreted it in the Uh movie
6: well yeah I mean in the in the in that moment of his life I think it was the transformational choice of uh, which which life am I going to have and it was the thing was quite clear that that you know the love story that had begun with Joyce was that story um you know that wasn't the That wasn't the end of my father's relationship with my mother. I mean, I think that it was really ended long before that. But I think those moments, you know, um, uh, to be able to illustrate that dividing line of his life was that was the past and this was the future. Um, And, you know, that song, in addition to the fact that Gene and Paul were just not really supportive of it. Um, you know, we did draw at all and didn't want it on the next album. Um, and each one of those albums kept failing to get that radio play, which at the time. There was no success without the radio play. Um, right. they,
5: they didn't understand from a rock ballad. No, we, we would try to give them things, you know, that could be an example of what they could write for. And the, all these other groups had rock ballads. That's how they got known. Well, you know? Joyce, who who's
2: you know because there's this is kind of a two parter. I wanted to ask both you and uh, you know Tim and yourself. Of of course, though you know, Joyce, you were there. Dress to Kill, having Neil produce it. Well, you know, the history says that he just needed to keep the guys close because that where they were having contract issues. Can you can you elaborate a little yeah, bit on that? <laughs> and then part two. About- Is is who whose idea was it to get Ezrin? So Neil Neil producing Dress to Kill, and then how did you get Ezrin after a lot?
5: Here's the thing. He thought he could produce them so that they could get radio play. This was really about him. Working with them, it wasn't because he just wanted to keep the group close. That wouldn't have been a thing. Well, Again, I mean, because that's what know? we've
2: been we've been told. Well, that's,
5: I, that's why I said okay. So, um, no, this was. I really think I can take these songs and make them. You know what? what he does with the Isleys, uh, ostensibly in the movie, that he kicks up this sound and he takes this sound away. Mm-hmm. And this sound like that's what he wanted to do with Kiss. He wanted to produce it to do that. I do not remember, quite frankly, where the crossover with Ezra. And I don't. I don't remember that. I'm sure there was some kind of kerfuffle that went on with that, but I. It's not, not in my brain anymore.
2: Well, I, like, I now see, especially yeah. because the production value was so different. I mean, because Hotter Than Hell was just. It, it's still to this day. Don't worry, I love the songs, but it's that's a, a brutal mix. I mean. Neil brought you could certainly hear you know that everything was a lot brighter it was a lot poppier the this, the guitar sound you know just everything
5: where he wanted to take it you know and I'm sure at some point there was a discussion about that not happening <laughs> and then they brought in the second crew uh, you know it didn't the interesting thing is that that is that only Kiss Live broke them but you know the reason it broke them it wasn't just because oh we got the sound which they did It was because they had toured so many times to these cities over and over again that when kids saw Kiss Live, oh, I was there. I'm going to buy that record. You know, it was brilliant, actually.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I was I was one of those kids because my I have older brother and older sister. And again, uh, you know, I was 10 and 75 us elementary kids knew who kiss was a lot of us had older brothers and here in detroit man they were they they were front page news that was a big deal and i remember when we we my when i said my older brother got alive when it came out had hotter than hell when it came out Had dressed to kill that was like stuff we listened to it, it really was because i talked to a lot of fans they're like, wow, we didn't really start getting Kiss until, you know, Bath. And I'm like, God, here in Detroit, they, they were oh, on the radio.
5: You know, Cleveland, Toledo, all the places that we yes. would tour all the time. Even in Canada, we had a whole series that we would play up there. And, and uh, you know, the audiences were great. They just loved them. I mean, once they saw them live, they were fans. You know, I'm, a still, I'm a still a big believer in touring. You want you you oh. fans out there. Get out there and meet them, and meet and greet afterwards, and do you know? And involved. no matter
0: how much, no matter how much the music industry has changed, you still have to tour. You still have to go out there and and go face to face with your fans.
4: Well, oh, a lot God. of the younger um, bands want to meet people. They want to meet their fans. So at yeah. least that's good because for a while it felt like bands didn't want to deal with that at all. And I'm not talking pandemic; just in general, the meet and greets have become much more popular.
5: Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I think with the way that people are becoming, listen, people are doing all these things independently now. They're going, they're getting their music recorded and pressed and put out there and their merchandise put out. I mean, so this is, this is another era where, they're, where the fans are going to be very, very important. You know?
6: And it's crucial for the longevity. I mean, the difference is those, those acts who, who had that song of the summer. And we don't remember the name of the act, we only remember the song because they never made that relationship with the the audience. And ultimately, I think when you look back at what Joyce and my dad did, I don't know that you can find any other label where the relationship with the fans were not just focused on, but um but so so clearly understood that that was everything. You know, Parliament exists because of the experience of hearing them live and being there. Yes, you can then listen to the radio, but you have to experience Parliament to experience Parliament. <laughs> you have to experience Donna to experience Donna, and I think they knew that better than than any label I thought in history up until that point.
2: Joyce, I, I'm going to ask you, being that you're so close to Bill, um, Sean Delaney. Oh. How can you can you speak of Sean? Uh, you know, in some Sean detail, was, especially early on.
5: Sean, Sean was how we were going to go from production to to, to management business because Sean was a rocker. You know, he had his whole attitude and the songs and whatever. And uh, you know, he and Bill were very much in love, and um, and Bill wanted to help him with his career. So when Kiss kind of came along. It was kind of a natural for us to go, well, okay, we could we could do this. We could get into, you know. My era, I had like four different careers before I was my daughter's age now. I mean, it was different. You could strike out in something that you wanted to do. And really. If you had the vision and you it was so much easier you know, living was cheaper. It's like Bill and I started a company. I was on unemployment. I was making like $90 a week. I could bail. I was on somebody else's couch. You know, all those stories about Bill touring and torn sweaters. And, and you know, I, Jean's mother used to call me. Does he have a sweater? I said, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. I'll get him a sweater. And they'd come with shopping bags. And I would buy them suitcases. I, I couldn't afford to buy them. But I'd buy them su- I mean, this was we were all broke, but who cared? This was, you know, we had nothing to nothing to lose, literally. <laughs> literally nothing to lose. We were just gonna go with this vision until we couldn't, you know. Look, we were all, including Neil, we were all really hung out there. Nobody had, we were taking money, Bill and I, from our production company. Not a good thing to do. And you know, I'm I like, will pay the editor. No, I'll put this into KISS. I mean, we were really playing it very close to the vest. And thank God they broke when they did.
1: Let me ask both. Let no, me ask both. <laughs> let me ask both
0: of you. So the, the impression I got from the movie was more that Donna Summer saved Casablanca, not Kiss
6: Alive. Uh, it, it, it all happened. I mean, at the, happened, the
5: happened same I mean, at once. Yeah. The one thing that didn't save them, you know, Neil was amazing. And I speak to this group of young women. I'm going to talk about how he really had faith in women. I mean, he had department heads who were women. This is not a thing that ever happened. So he wanted to do this Johnny Carson album. And he said to me, come on, you're a producer. Go produce this album. Yes, I produced the album that shipped gold and returned platinum. <laughs> 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 That's why I'm here today. I'm still as a producer. In the, in, in the grammy association <laughs> but he just had ultimate faith like go and do this and let's see how it, it, the album was great There's nobody was ready to do it you know uh, nobody wanted to hear it as tim had him say you know the worst thing is having to believe in something because you have to yeah. not because you do you know uh, i had kinescopes you know, nobody had the original stuff from this it was hours of screening this when you see her with that little reel to reel and you know, and, and she says to him, maybe you should slow down. He says, Maybe you should speed up. That's what she's doing. She is putting together the course and album.
6: But 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 but, but I think also to that that point, I don't think, and Joyce, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I don't think if it was just Donna the world would have changed. And I don't think if it was just that Kiss Alive album that that the world changes, that everything that that you guys had been right about from the start, which is why I say we just needed enough time for you guys to catch up to us, meaning right. Joy
1: God. True.
6: I think everything that they envisioned was right from the start, maybe with the exception of Johnny Carson, but even that was a great album. So I, I don't even think that that historically was a bad idea. If you really look at the body of work of what... Of what Joyce and my, and my dad created and, and the other fabulous executives there, they were right. And that's kind of one of the, one of the reasons I played with the timeline that way is I wanted the audience to keep going back and go, yeah, he was right about Ron Isaac. Okay. He was right about Gladys. He was right. And I know that he's going to be right. About- <laughs> Why is that not happening? So suddenly the biopic becomes a bit of, of a mystery, but I think, um, If if it it all happened at the same time, I don't think that explosion of success, which became unique in the music historical space, could have happened. I think it required both of them, and then you know Parliament was right there as well. You know, I mean,
5: and and then the disco acts. So we had the first disco promotion department. We had twenty five people running around with the clubs. It was, it was an enormous explosion. It was. Uh, would, you, would
4: you typically start with, like, the clubs if you had a 12-inch single? Is that when you were trying to break the disco, was that the first place to go, is to go to the clubs?
5: Well, yeah, because we had that whole... Well, first of all, you know, the, the, the great and true story about, you know, uh, WBLS playing <laughs> playing Love to Love You, it's true. But when that long playing, at first, it was the first long playing single like that ever, Neil invented that. Um, When that hit the clubs, that record was gold within two weeks. It went boom, like that. It was insane. They just played it all night long there. And from that, little by little, everybody, and every artist wanted to do a disco album there. So Cher came to the label because she needed to be reinvigorated and and did, Song is I'm missing it at the moment. But and and Barbara did the song with Donna, Enough Is Enough, the Paul Jabarga. I mean, everybody wanted to do disco because that was the big thing. So we had that, and we had all those other acts that were, you know, making it across the, the, the platform. It, Tim's right. The explosion was enormous. One of the things I'll never forget is opening the trades and seeing the ad that we had made. I think it was Warner Brothers was first. And then Casablanca was second. Little Casablanca was second in gold and platinum records.
4: That had and to that, make some of the other.
5: Said, We're gaining on you. hmm <laughs> <What's going on? laughs> I'm pretty sure brother. I have a trade that's ad coming. in my collection. I wish I could find that,
0: like that damn ad. It's somewhere probably. Mark, Mark's probably he got
2: it. I'm not kidding. I think I have that in my... We are uh,
5: gaining on you. Well, set, text it to me, will you? Because <laughs> I, I, I will, I will. I, I love that. But the little engine that could. Here we are with all... What Tim, did you call them all? Like the broken toys?
6: Yeah, I, the island of Misfit <laughs> Toys. I always <laughs> really thought that's exactly what, what Casablanca was.
4: And that must have bothered some of the other record executives and companies.
3: Them. Especially the ones that said they couldn't do it to begin with. You know?
1: Mm -hmm. know?
2: Well, that's that's another thing uh, I wanted to ask you, Joyce, guys. There's so many questions that, you know. uh, You
5: can call me later if you want. (laughs) <laughs> oh
4: god oh whoa, well never whoa, whoa whoa! you may not want that <laughs> yeah, you're okay.
2: what what other labels what other labels were were you know right around kiss alive when the band was starting to you know fracture from 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 Neil or want you know when everything was going down what were some of the other labels that were coming to you guys
5: that wanted that wanted, that wanted
2: kiss wanted kiss
5: Oh, you and know, what kind
2: of offers if you remember that they were they were
5: no you know what because in 1975 I left Rocksteady management and moved mm-hmm. out to married Neil, so I wasn't involved in a lot of those post offers um and the thing is when he left of course they had Because we put it there, a key man clause in their contract, which meant that PolyGram had to renegotiate their contract with them. They did very well by that. Oh, yes, they did. Uh, You know, unfortunately for Donna, and God bless her, I will always love her, but I tried to tell her when she, you know, we had that whole bad stuff with lawsuits and stuff. And I kept trying to say to her, meet with me without your attorney, because I couldn't tell her you have a key man clause. What idiot is not seeing this in your contract? But also, she didn't know he was leaving. And once he left, she was free, or she would have been. (laughs) One, one,
0: one major history event that you didn't touch on in the movie are the Kiss solo albums. Oh. how was? Can you give us some insight from your side of that? How did that come to be? You know, what was going on?
3: I think, you know, listen, you've seen a lot of
5: artists, I'm sure, and you know that they have individual egos. I mean, look at the Beatles, for God's sake. Everybody wants to be a creator that that they think their vision is what needs to be there. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, it was like, okay, we'll do that. (laughs) We'll do that for you. Let's keep you happy. Let's, you know, Keep you creating and doing this i don't remember the specifics of it but i know that was a large part of it it was like you know want i mean because
0: you know from 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 for, from a kiss product. from a from a the fan side of things that's another one of those moments where it was like oh yeah these shipped platinum and returned double platinum because they didn't sell nearly to the level they were hyped
5: well yes and they weren't for me as good as that what the band was together you know that happens a lot i think don't you Hmm. think what was your opinion of that did you like oh Uh, well you know
0: purely as a fan i thought paul's and aces were amazing they were about as close to a kiss album as you could get gene i was like is this a demon and peter i was just like what what now i understand what he was doing but as a Teenager back then, I was like, Yeah, no, this is not Kiss whatsoever. What is this stuff I'm listening to?
4: <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a great record. The gene was the only one I didn't really care for. But for us as Kiss fans, it was exciting to go, Okay, we're not going to buy one Kiss record. Now we get four new ones.
5: Right. I'm sure your parents were thrilled.
4: Oh, I had to cut <laughs> yeah. a lot of lawns, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, kidding. yeah.
2: I, did. I remember yeah. that.
4: Vivid we thing. earned it all because my mother's yeah. just like, Why are you wasting your money on this garbage? <laughs> like, this is coming from someone who likes to listen to polka music. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> and one, and right.
4: and one and a two. One and two, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs>
2: hey, Tim, Tim, I wanted to ask you something that I was shocked not to see in the movie, you know, towards the end. No mention of Boardwalk or Joan Jett.
6: Well, you know, similarly, you know, maybe a different level of of, of artistry or quality. Um, no mention, really, other than a quickie on YMCA and the village. Yeah, people. well,
2: that's so, true. That's true. You know, uh,
6: which was, you know, I made a decision early on, um, and 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 as a storyteller, I I, I think it's the right decision. I mean, we'll see what other people think, and um, you know, Joyce and I discussed this a lot when I when I was developing it. Um, you know. I believe as a storyteller, third acts are where most films go to die. Uh, they, they just are. You're trying to wrap something up and um, suddenly you're going, well, let's show what they learned. Uh, let's show what the cautionary tale was or let's show why." And, and every music biopic you've ever seen, for the most part, starts at the beginning. Someone's got this great talent. They have this rise and they all end up with some sort of metaphorical needle in their arm. And that's the lesson that we need to learn and, and take away from that. And I always thought, um, which is a very kind of, tricky thing for a, for a filmmaker to, to set out and do this. I always thought this was a movie where I don't know that the main character learned something. And I, I actually don't think the main character to learn something. I think the main character confirms something. And so that's, that's a very different thing. And normally third acts are about what did we learn and how did it play out? But I also wanted to capture for the audience um, how rapid and shocking his loss was. And so, you know, there was conversations Joyce and I had over the years with other people that we were talking about during the movie with, you know, like, what are you going to do him in the hospital? And what are you going to do him with the disease? I'm like, that's not the movie I'm remotely interested in telling. Well, yeah. I'm so interested in this guy who had this extraordinary journey that got cut off. And the perseverance of that journey was ultimately confirmed in this sort of you know, confessional that he gives, because to, to me, the whole movie really is, you know, spoiler alert, you know guy end of his life shows up at the pearly gates, you know, in heaven, and they're going, oh, no, 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 not you. You're <laughs> the sexual, you're the wrong guy. You did that thing with Donna. You forced her to be more sexual. You, you maybe, you know, didn't, you know, pay pay as much as you should have to kiss. um And, and the movie's about him going, yeah, okay. But let me why. And let me show you this other part of it. There's two sides of that story or three sides of the coin, right? So, right. So, um, so once I knew that that's what I wanted to capture with with the film, it was early on that I said, "There, the moment that he is confirmed to have been right is the moment we have to say, chop Hi. his legs off at the end. And yeah. if, I think if we went even into the song of YMCA, what I had built to that moment, I think would have been diluted, and I think it would have been dissipated. And so, even when you sort of then you start talking about, there's another you know year or two of extraordinary. Ca- we could have gone to Castle League Records and Filmworks, like we could have gone. There's yeah, so the many other things we could <laughs> have gone, and certainly to Boardwalk. Um, but to me, it really was the celebration of this man's vision. And the confirmation of his vision and the impact he had on all of us today as a son, as a husband, as a music maker for everyone. And so for him to reach the the end of that story and say, did I matter? I think he's just on his own been answering that for himself and not for us. I think he's been wrestling the whole movie. Go, did I matter? I, I did matter. And his last line, which I think is an affront to every storytelling rule in the world is, I wouldn't change a fucking God thing. <laughs> Loved it. That's the worst thing you could do in his character that he didn't yeah. think, But I honestly, Joyce, you t- better. Yeah, the, I don't he think was. he would. I don't he think would he would. Have,
5: he would never have changed a damn thing. And you will. And see, and there's a couple of things in the movie. I mean, uh, People are so fascinated with the music and stuff. But you notice he dances with his daughter on the worst day of his freaking life. That was yeah. so yes.
0: touching. Yes. It,
5: says to you, it says to you, I'm a family man and this means me. And when I have to leave my kids, you now get how horrible that was for him yeah. and what that was about. I love that it's told by him. It's such a, it, it makes it so personal for you. Yeah. in New York. You are now on this ride with him, ride or die, man. You're, you're on this ride, and when he hits you at the end, because most people don't know the story, but oh, disco was. Now I was sitting next to Evan at the screening the other night, and the minute he gets to this, disco died when, and we grab each other's arms because we both start to cry. It becomes it's this really emotional moment for both of us because we know what the next statement is. Yeah you know uh, i got to
2: admit i was i tears in my eyes
3: it. yeah, me too. Oh. yeah. Right?
2: that 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 people, narrative people have, at the that. end was so well done that narrative was so well done at the end and oh. and it,
5: oh. it was so, no, i think then, you and then why ahead. take it out on that kind of thing you know he's now he's he's singing his last dance mm. right and now you see everybody from that time saying this was the greatest time of our lives because I don't know if Tim talked about this earlier, but everybody he ever spoke to said the following things. It was so, it was the most incredible time. I don't know if I could do it again. I don't know <laughs> if I could do it again. There's, a,
6: there's like, also the other one, the, 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 the quote, which actually uh, gave, Clive gave us too, was Don't know how I survived it. <laughs> don't, don't know if I do it again. Greatest fucking time of my life. And, and and capturing that song at the end, which my brother Evan, um, you know, wrote so beautifully and then integrating all those yes. ordinary songs that were the sum of his life and made it the greatest time of his life. That was ultimately the story. So there's no question. Joe Jet, great story. But like the Night Ranger, I mean, so, so many places you could go, but I felt he had confirmed for himself if there was any question of whether he belonged going through those, those gates, I think he reached that point and said, yes, and fuck you if you don't think so. <laughs> and, and let the audience ultimately decide, do I like this guy for that? Uh, but to me, that was a very powerful statement about just life having I mean, nothing to do with music or just to me, you, you know, you get one of these things and, and um, lives, I mean. Um, and and you really can't spend it kind of regretting or, or doing something differently. And certainly when you get to the end of it, you don't get a do-over. And that really, you know, I, I, I was saying some the other day, you know, as a filmmaker, when people would ask me, what do you want, you know, people to walk out of this movie theater? I always had this absurdly naive, precious response. Um, and and I, every time I would say it, I felt stupid saying it, but I, but I actually meant it. And I would say to people, you know, when I walk out of, 99% of the movies I see, the credits end, I get up and we turn to each other and you know, whoever I'm with and go, where do you want to eat? There's really not a conversation about the thing, right? And I think that that's a very sad thing, especially in movies that are communal experience. You know, you, you want to talk about the thing, but, but very movies leave, few movies leave you with that. So when asked what I wanted people to do, first of all, I wanted them to be crying a little bit so they understood that this was a very serious you know, loss of, of this incredible person, but I wanted them to be dancing while they were while they were crying up the aisle. And what I really wanted them to do is kind of either say to their, their person with them or to themselves, Jesus, he did all that in 39 years? What the hell did I do? I better wake up tomorrow and make it matter, like he said. Now, I thought that was a precious, you know, kind of naive thing to hope that, I will tell you, I, I went to the first- um um, actual public-facing screening. There weren't industry people. It was just a recruited screening in Lincoln Square uh, Theater here uh, a couple nights ago. Um, and, and I ended up doing like an impromptu q and I went just to go, hey, thank you. And nobody would leave. And so uh, uh-huh. they said, I they could ask a question. So I just, you know, there's no moderator. It was just me up front. I didn't have a microphone. I was talking loudly. And it just went on for an hour with people just, well, tell me about this, tell me about that. But after that, when I said, we, we have to leave the theater because there's another movie coming in. But 25 people came down and stayed not to talk about, well, this was my favorite album and I went to this concert. I love that. People literally, I swear to God, saying I was going to quit my job. I'm not going to. You know, I-, I was thinking of doing this other career. I'm actually going to. And thank you for that. And and just knocked me out. That's remarkable. That was what I actually set out to do with no expectation that I could ever do that even with one person. And here's like 25 people who were just there to, they didn't want to let that moment go. And then they started to talk to each other about shared stuff. And ultimately the theater people kind of really did kick us out. Um, But, but that's his message. And ultimately I think that's his impact. Um, He just made us dance. He sure did, but that's meant he made us live. He sure did. Right. Well. And I'm curious, go ahead.
5: No, you know, there's a note that he wrote that said, don't feel badly for me. I've lived more in my short little life than most people live in a hundred years.
1: And
5: the way he felt about it. And that was true. The man went for broke, you Mm. know, and everything that he did that he believed in and he enjoyed. This was not a, a worrying person. This was like, let's do it. You know, oh, it's another day.
2: That's Joyce, before we, before we came on, I was telling Tim. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, Mark, I have, I
6: have to tell her that him. line.
2: Yes. I, this is a, a conversation I had with, I've been fortunate, I've met Peter a few times, and one time when we were talking, I, uh, you know, Neil came up, and I asked him about Neil, and he said, Neil Bogart would bet a million dollars to win a <laughs> hundred.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that has stayed with me.
5: Ten hands, and you see it in the movie a bit. A bit. He, had, you know, he would take two, two blackjack tables, two blackjack tables, and play them all at the same time, smoking and sweating and being excited. And I stand there and just laugh. I thought, okay, let's see how you do. I'm up ten, I'm down twenty, I'm up. This was, it was fun for him to do that. And you've you got to be a very special person to be able to deal with that. That
2: had to have been wonderful to be around somebody who has that much joy and gusto for life. Mm-hmm. That go for, that's what I think people miss in their lives. Just that I'm going for it. I love mm-hmm. that. And that's was him. smiling over the movie. I'm like,
5: right. that's, that's awesome. That's yeah, a- he was a Pied Piper. He was definitely a Pied Piper. People followed him everywhere because that's the way. Come on, let's go.
4: Fearless. You know?
5: Do it. Yeah. let's do which it which is amazing and, and also with people like if the guy from the mailroom came to him and said i have this idea and he would say all right so tell me give me a short thing on that sorry turning my phone off give me a short thing on that and uh all right so what would we achieve how much would it cost how much could we lose okay do it and the guy from the mailroom would go me He go yeah it's your idea isn't it yeah work with so-and-so go do it that's how quickly he made those wow. type of, you know, and I was the perfect foil for him because I'm the ultimate optimist. I wake up every morning. Oh, <laughs> let's see. what can let's we do, it. do today? Yeah. No, I'm always a glass is more than way more than half full. It's just blowing over.
4: Love it. Because Don't you, you have to kind of that that be that attitude,
5: way? That attitude gives you, you know, we are very much what we put out there. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you talk about perception as everything, you know, if you say Donna's a a star and you dress her like a star and you get her and you get her a house, like you get an agent, she's a star, you know, Uh, you know, if you say kiss is the, the, the best rock and roll band ever, they're the demons of rock. She's the first lady of love. You know, you have to be there and believe it and live it. And if you do, other people come along. It's really interesting. Like,
3: because people has to are looking, it too, right, and the artist has to feel that way, you know. It's come from the artist first, mm-hmm. you know. But the people
5: never,
4: are, the are looking art. for something.
5: To yeah, there are in. for the artist's vision and your vision. Will, listen, the record company always wants another album and another hit. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who were at those days. They were the bank. They were giving you the money to to do it all, you know. And so they needed if they put ten out there and one or two hit, that was good. But you had to have those one or two hitting or you were out, out of the game. So you were always asking the artists for more, you know, and, and also uh, maybe talking to them about what kind of record they were going to put out. And sometimes those visions did not come together, you know, and if you were lucky, is, you did.
0: Is, is that what drove Kiss to record early in their career, an album every six months was Casablanca going, we need more. We need more.
5: You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> also them. They needed to, they needed to get, keep getting product out there if it wasn't you know
3: and also exposure too I mean you lag too long in between that time period that's going to just be longer until you know that longer span for people to see you you know right how did
5: you feel about the hotter than hell album It's my personal question
4: I love love the songs songs. don't like the
0: production yeah songs are amazing the production was lacking
4: yeah
3: songs are fantastic that was and, a, and the
0: the visual of it is is was oh yeah amazing the cover the everything was just that, like wow that
5: you. I did yeah. that but but I did it with Norman Seif, who who is one of the most incredible rock photographers
4: amazing ever.
5: yeah so
3: yeah Norman Norman and I had a good time doing that I always feel that there's a story <laughs> there behind the whole cover there's a story there and and we have little bits and pieces of it but there's a huge story you know there's got to be Big time story.
5: I don't think the guys were very happy with the cover and the whole look of it or whatever. that was, oh, that was cool. Right, me too. Art department did that Did the design. We talked about it. And, you know, yeah. a lot of things coming.
2: There's a great photo of you with the band, Joyce. You and Bill um, uh, from that session for the cover.
5: With Neil also. We were all like
2: no i i don't know if neil yeah i think maybe i know you're definitely in one of the pictures yeah Yeah. that looked like a crazy day
5: that's what i mean Any any shoot with norman Seif was a crazy day the one shoot that that and tim has pictures of it in in the credits We, (laughs) we did a shoot that was like we all had costumes on i had like a fur thing and people had and Neil had a turban. I mean. But know. also,
6: but also, if you look closely, it's not just Joyce. My mother's also in, in those photos. <laughs> his, <laughs> his parents, my father's parents. Yeah. <laughs> and and they are, na- are, are equally insane. in that. Song,
5: and there right? are naked women.
6: All yeah. over my grandfather. Yeah.
5: <laughs> 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 on on our back, there's this woman. And she's got like, and Ruth is looking at him on the breast. So that it was. A craziest shoot, and for years we hid those. I mean, I have the negatives here. For years we hid all of these. I mean, now who cares, right? But right, but <laughs> but then it was like I don't know that this should come out. Is, we're already being banned in Boston. Well, that really helped, actually, right? Yeah, I I so, thought it was but, great.
0: T- Tim <laughs> Tim Joyce, you know, and honestly, we could talk for so long here. You've already been here for. 90 minutes so i don't want to monopolize all your time but maybe as a final question what is what do you guys each think is the most misunderstood thing about neil
5: oh okay for me it's the drugs okay and and i'm gonna tim i'll let you vamp i want to find bruce sudano's quote you
1: know
5: (laughs) what i'm yeah Yeah. yes that will tell you you have to find it um yeah,
6: I I, 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 yeah, I was just gonna say, I, I think, and this really comes out of perception in general from people who didn't know him, um, and on, and and as you guys talk about too, who don't necessarily get the music perhaps and have a very limited vision of what that music is. Like people just don't get Kiss and and don't acknowledge that you can't go for fifty years if the songs aren't that fucking good or that. Right was somehow a fad and it's still playing today in any club that you go to. Um, well
5: this go became dance in about two seconds.
6: Right. Or, 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 or forgetting that it's the same guy who gave us midnight train and, and these other songs. So I think the ultimate um, misunderstanding is so easily, just like kiss is easily relegated to being a gimmick, I think he and Casablanca and the work that Joyce and, and everybody did there could easily be dismissed as surface, as non-important, um, and as Not a sexy. crazy drug-addled, um, you know, place that was reckless with money. And I think what 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 I try to accomplish here is he was an artist. <laughs> Um, he may not have achieved being an artist, but he was an artist, and so in different ways, from you know the idea of how the origin of a song you know happens with someone like Gladys to how in a recording studio can turn something from something to something else,
4: which was interesting he, to me.
6: Yeah, to me, I think it'd be interesting to a lot of people, but I think ultimately um, he was an artist. And, and you can make fun of this music but he's the guy who who you know gave you the gospel crossover the, the pop gospel crossover he gave us you know bubblegum music he gave us you know folk music he gave us disco you Charlie can't Landers relegate did.
3: him to one Charlie thing. Was Charlie on
6: but you can't then relegate yeah. him to a thing you have to suddenly step back and go anybody who did all of that was a visionary unparalleled hmm was a showman, unrivaled. Um, I think ultimately, I think the big misunderstanding is that time, that place, that excess that certainly did occur could so easily diminish the artistry and the skill and I think this man was um, unparalleled. Okay. The
5: other thing is, that time where it was that wild and crazy was such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. It was a couple of years. It was not they make it like it was the whole thing. So I'm gonna read you, this is from Bruce Sudano, because uh, you know Donna's husband who was in Brooklyn Dreams, who was, who was on Casablanca. It says, Neil Bogart was a visionary. If he believed in an artist and the record, there was no stopping him. He would find a way. He didn't take no for an answer and he thought outside the box. So much is made of the excesses that went on during this period in a Casablanca, but it was always about the music and it was all driven by the passion and brilliance of Neil. Matt Wonderful.
4: And I had one last question for Tim. Being that this is such a personal project for you, I'm always fascinated with filmmakers because you could have played this many different ways. And you explained earlier why you did what you did, but how did you get to that place? How do you get rid of the noise? And go. Okay, this is this is the direction I'm going to take, and then you achieve that. Do you see it in your mind's eye ahead of time, or is it like walking down a dark set of stairs where you just see the next one and you know there's a bottom, but I'm just going to keep going till like I get there?
6: I'll tell you. I think I think it's both, uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, from the very beginning. Um, and in the very earliest stages, you know, this was stuff that, I, that as I was developing it, I couldn't develop it without choice. I mean, you know, we right. talked about this, we talked about what stories were important. And, and I don't mean just as, you know, someone who had, you know, a, a, a Wikipedia resource. I mean, someone who had a great story sense as well, and most importantly, a sense of who these human beings were and why they matter. That was important education for me. But once I started to think about what story I thought was worth telling, it was also through a filter of Joyce and I sort of collectively having heard so many offers to get the rights about other people's visions of the stories they wanted to tell. It's not that we tried to to whitewash, you know, any of the excesses. And I've said repeatedly, I think a lot of my father's flaws were his superhero powers. And I think without being a gambler and an addict, there's no success. Mm -hmm. So, so I thought the complicated human being was important. I thought, um, Ultimately, the story about this guy who was a cipher for many, who was lost to history for many, I thought and hoped and believed ultimately he would be equally as important. But the most important thing that I thought that was kind of a compass for me, um, a great lover of of, of um, biopics, I could never be Ray Charles. I can't play like that. That's a God-given thing. I could never be Aretha. I don't have Aretha Franklin's voice. Um, if I fought hard enough and believed deep enough, maybe I could be Neil. I I thought he turned up sort of the human capacity to another level, but I think he did it in a way that was something I think we all could relate to. And there was a universality to that kind of person that was not unattainable his successes and and certainly were something that are unparalleled and all the rest of that. But as a human being, he made choices. He believed in those dreams um, and he fought harder than anybody else. So if I wake up the next day and decide I'm going to fight harder than anybody else, maybe I can get at least a taste of that. So I, I started with that. And then, and I've said this before, which, which was interesting. People go, you know, why did it take so long? Well, first of all, they all take so long. These things are hard. This one took longer than most. Um, but one of the reasons I think is, I think there was a lack of understanding that from all those people, studios and financiers who said, oh my God, the greatest story, is all these people. Whenever we got close to doing it, everyone kind of go, but it's not the Donna Summer biopic. It's about a guy named Neil Bogart. I don't know who that is. I don't know how to now market that. No, but it's got Kiss and no, but I... and so that became ultimately the roadblock. Every time we got close, it suddenly became clear that people were afraid of the very thing that people were afraid about Neil Bogart. And as the son and as the wife, ultimately that drive and perseverance that he taught, I think, all of us became the thing that did take me down dark alleys and through strange doors (laughs) and to the the pit of despair, you know, starting the movie before COVID, having to shut down for a year, 11 months and seven days with half a movie, not knowing if COVID was ever going to pass, not knowing if I would ever be able to complete it. Um, and so at every step, I thought without question, he would keep going, he would keep going. So I think it started with, with, with a vision of what I thought was universal, which I thought would make it deeper and richer if we all could really relate to it. Um, and oh, then yeah. embracing his struggle that became my own um, and just the, the pure relentlessness that I was taught I embraced, which is amazing to come full circle like that, because
4: the drug thing and the excess stuff, yeah, it's it's an interesting story to a certain degree, but it's like you would lose, I think you would lose the essence of who your father is and what you showed us he is if you would have spent too much time because like that's how we are here on three sides like michael said we're not tmz we don't care about we want the minutiae and these interesting uh things that we don't know about because we're the kids sitting in the bedrooms in the 70s with a live listening to the record over and over again and reading the liner notes and learning everybody's name it's just to become a passion for i'm speaking for myself but essentially for all of us that we do this because we love music and we love to get together as friends once a week call it dorky call us nerds whatever <laughs> but we have a good time doing yeah, it and so for me later. <laughs> it's a thrill to have the two of you on to hear these things because I've I've known you know I've known your names for quite some time and I always wondered like I wonder what they thought of this I wonder what what it was like to be a son or to, to be a wife and, and be in that environment. It must've been just amazing. So we appreciate you sharing some of that with us. Amen. Well,
3: it wasn't. I, I have to share. Um, I'm like, I'm completely blown away and I apologize for my lateness, but I haven't really um, spoken much just because I am so enamored right now. Um, as growing up where people were really into the music, I was so in love with the record label and the production And that part of the business, that's what I actually went to school for. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a female, and Joyce, this was one of the questions I had for you. As a female, that was, it's unheard of, especially, you know, I graduated high school in the 80s, went to college and graduated in the 90s. And for a female to be in a record business or production was completely unheard of. So I look at you, Joyce, and I'm, I'm just, I'm completely mind blown because I look at Nancy and I look at you and I think, wow. These two women had such an important role in, in the record label and in production and music. I am just completely blown away.
5: There were very, very few. When, when Neil says thing. I had never met anything like her, anybody like her. Yeah, there wasn't anybody working. You know, I, I, this thing Monday night I'm doing is with this organization. There are like 20,000 women members in the, you know, in the recording industry, and I think, Wow, if I started that organization, there would be five. <laughs> you yep. know, Like Suzanne DePass and me and, uh, you know, uh, Florence Greenberg and you know, Sylvia Rowan came later. I mean, there's a bunch of them, but there was maybe one promotion person that we had that was that was a woman. Our Neil's head of PR and a couple of, you know, uh, Besides so Nancy, there was one on the one in the field that was that was really unusual. Yeah, role. I mean
3: it was very unheard of to see a woman in that type of position back then. I mean, and even in the 90s it was unheard of. But my God, in the 70s it was just you know mind-boggling. So like you and Nancy, you guys were like my heroes. You know, Joe,
5: Joe Smith, who was our our own version of Don Rickles, used to and every there used to be these huge events and there'd be a dais of a hundred guys, everybody in their little tuxedos, and he would always joke and say look, you see how diversity has really made a difference? (laughs) Not funny, but it was true. There was not one woman up there. You know, it's crazy. Um, And it was a very different time. But, you know, you graduated when, Katie?
3: I graduated high school in 80, and I graduated college in 90. I wanted to be an entertainment accountant. And for that, a a female entertainment business, it was like, yeah, Lisa, we know you're smart and we know you can do it, but it, it's it, to be in that kind of business at this time is not gonna, it's, it's not gonna work, which was kind of
5: like, oh, but- Well, but the whole world was, was kind of like that. You know, I was in television yeah. production. I could only be there because, you know, Bill got me into the guild. We were that unit, you know, that lying unit <laughs> of protection.
3: I love it, <laughs> I think.
5: That got these, us, you know, that got us there. So that, by the time the record business thing, I mean, nobody really cared that he was OK. It didn't matter, you know. Um,
3: but at the but, time, at the time, like you said, it did. I mean, I came up protecting you. Yes.
5: You know. Yeah. My son just said to me, you should write the book, Mom, because, you know, in advertising, that whole Mad Men era. That's when yep. I worked there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what was going on then? Absolutely. I had to I, and I said I didn't type. So I couldn't be in the typing pool. I had to, I worked for the producer and the, you know, and that's how I got started is I made no money, but I didn't have to ty- sit there and type and not do anything. <laughs> but that's where they put all the women. Absolutely. Said, no. Because we all knew how to type. They knew we knew how to type. We took it all in high school, you know, every good boy. But you no, know, I said, I was.
3: The- you're like my hero, Joyce. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> Dude. You you guys like shaped my my whole love of... um We didn't know what, see, we didn't know what we were doing.
5: My daughter (laughs) in college was taking a um, women's studies class, you know, which everybody, and she called me and said, were you influenced by the women's movement? And there was silence on my end of the phone. And she went, oh, (laughs) oh, you were the women's movement. I said, yeah, but we didn't know we were the movement. We had birth control pills. We had a college education. You know, and I was... Life damaged. is good. Life is good. I, I was going out, I, you know, and living in the West Village. My parents were really upset, but, you know, because I was sent to college for my MRS, which is why you went there in my era. I graduated in 1967. Probably you guys weren't even born then, but...
1: 65.
5: 64.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: there you go.
5: 61. You know, we, I, women couldn't have credit cards. I no. could do nothing without my father or another man signing for me. And at really good restaurants, there were no prices for the women on the menus. How do you take someone out for business for that? My job was to get people from the advertising agency when Bill and I had a company to, to buy in that we were gonna direct their, their films. I had to go and
3: you know, make a deal with the guy, with the waiter beforehand. I was like- I always, I always wanted to be that woman that survived in a man's world because I just thought that was just so ballsy. You know, Boy, and, even, <laughs> and but even at that, you know, even even at, when I graduated in the 90s, even that was completely unheard of. So to be for you to be a woman in, in a man's world at that point in time is just spectacular. And look at me now. I'm like the only female in a podcast. <laughs> look
4: at me, you look know, there's book, you know, course. there's truth to that. I never thought about that before. But you're right. It you is? know, yeah, I'm really- yeah. It's just that's just so crazy to me that it, it took this long. You know, because either you can do the job or you can't. It shouldn't matter what you yeah, know sex that, you that, are. It,
5: it, well, it, it did it a going backwards a bit here as a country. You know
3: that, right? Yeah. And
4: just- no, I, and I got older so, sisters yeah. who would beat the crap out of me. So it's like I'm, you know.
3: <laughs> I, it, Tommy. Just well, like, there
4: too. Yeah, so
3: you're
0: not- Tim, Tim, <laughs> Joyce. You yeah, know thank you yeah. so much yeah. for for spending thank all you. this time with us and you know we didn't mention it a lot but everybody spinning gold you have oh, to go see yes. this movie oh, march <laughs> 31st it opens nationwide and yes this is a fascinating movie oh, about a man is. who again i'm going to go back to what i said a man who created the soundtrack for our oh, lives you didn't realize it when we were kids back in the 70s. But now oh, no. you, can, you, you know it now. And this is a fascinating movie into the life of Neil Bogart. And that's all I can say. It's, it really does a fascinating job telling us who Neil was. And, and again, he was the guy who got us Kissed. Who got us Donna Summer, who got us the village people? I mean, Parliament. he was oh. Parliament. I mean, he was the label that brought to us all that amazing music. Yep.
5: True. The land of broken toys. <laughs> <laughs> well,
6: thank you guys. Really, really appreciate yes. it. Thank you guys
4: well, really no, for uh, your we, we, we
0: can't thank you enough. I mean, We're you so guys. Excited shared so much with us and and it means a lot it means a lot you've uh,
2: please both of you come back seriously yes
6: yes. absolutely
5: give me more than five minutes notice
6: oh yes (laughs) (laughs) we (laughs) we will will definitely
4: (laughs) exactly i
5: looked at my thing and i said and i thought what time did he did he because i (laughs) wasn't oh it was four minutes ago
3: okay well uh, you know (laughs) Not exactly well, we appreciate it. Well, we you know, appreciate um, you
0: dropping everything to do it. I
3: know you're going to be on, Joyce, and I was running late. And when I logged on, I don't know if you saw my face. I was like, and I smashed his face. And I was like, oh my God, Joyce is on here. It's like, I'm Joyce. I think I'm going to, my head's going to explode. My head is going to explode, seriously. <laughs> I couldn't, I was like speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> where, where are you located? Are you in LA? I'm in uh, Georgia. Oh well, okay.
5: So you can't. I
0: I'm I'm in San Francisco. (laughs) Tommy's in Minnesota, and Mark is in Detroit.
5: See how this music connects
3: you all? Oh, was amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean that's how
5: we met one another.
2: Just so you, just so you guys know, we all would travel to Kiss expos, (laughs) and that's how we met one another. So it's it's your fault. (laughs)
5: <laughs> did you go to the one there was one well there was one in la that brad dragged me to and it was he said kiss is going to play acoustically without makeup at yeah that, con- was
2: the, uh, that was the that uh, was the official unplug the
0: official uh, convention tour
2: right but before
0: see that's the whole thing gene
2: that,
5: this is oh. it was just like it was like an offhand thing they had asked peter to come in and i thought oh my yep. god the group is back yeah you know uh and, uh, and that's what kind of got them back together again and back on tour. Gene we went a, all the... F- go ahead, I'm sorry. No, Gene, Gene kept them alive in his garage. He had these, uh, these metal racks that went like this and they'd be like little things of slots. And he was selling all the Kiss merchandise from his garage for a couple of years when they had... He won't tell you that story. Yeah, but oh. I would. <laughs>
3: I think, I think, what are we selling here, Gene? Oh, that's the, you know. Yeah. Right. I probably have <laughs> that's some that's of how it I here. Stayed alive. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what else was interesting, too, is the four of us all have different passions of the band. You know, like, you know, everybody has their different loves. Like, Mark collects a lot of fantastic things. Mike worked with them, Tommy is a collector, too. But like for me, I was totally fascinated by the documentation piece. Like that was my collecting, like old contracts, old, you know. Uh-
0: Lisa's got stacks of old oh. coin management oh. memos and documents. Oh. And I
3: have some yeah. rock City ones I could probably give That's you. my,
5: that is oh my, my management contract with them. My rock City management contract with them. I know I still have that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk.
0: Thank you so much again thank to both you. of you. Thank you both thank you so much. Have no. a wonderful weekend, both of you. you too.
3: Thank you. Thank Tim, you, thank Tim you. I'm
0: sure we'll be, we'll be in touch. Uh, absolutely. thank
6: you for supporting the movie. Th- th- thank oh, you we're so all much, for both of you. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic.
0: Thank you.
3: Fantastic. Fantastic. Bye.
0: Thank you, bye. bye. Thank bye. you. Three sides. I-, I don't know what to say other than I think wow. we all agree that was probably the greatest interview Ever. we've done Bar in none. 10 years.
2: That was the best episode ever. Best fangirl. Matter of fact, where's the mic? Drop the mic. We're done. Drop the this mic. We're last. Yeah. Month.
4: <laughs> this is our last episode. Last episode. <laughs> don't say that, Tommy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Everybody will be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't, I, I don't even I, know what-
0: I, I. Yeah. Speechless, speechless. I mean, the fact that Tim just out of the blue said, Would you like Joyce to join us? yeah and, and, and 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 just so you guys have context we were only scheduled to speak with tim and just before hitting the record button we were having some chats between mark tim and myself while we were waiting for tommy and lisa to show up and tim goes would you like me to see if joyce wants to join this interview and honestly i don't know if you could see it but i'm sure both Mark and my eyes went like a cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, jaws tongue. dropped and tongues rolled out. And
1: uh,
2: keep in mind, I don't think she's spoken to anybody publicly about <sighs> Kiss in like forever.
3: If you think about the stories, that's not only not if you think about her and how she started with Bill, right? But then you know, Mary like it ended up with this relationship with with Neil. It's like the, like the universe has merged, you know, and, and kissed them. It, uh, it's, I, uh,
0: you know, just uh, again. I, I'm I still can't like s- on
2: a high right now. Yeah, yeah I literal. am too.
0: I mean, it's just immense thank you to Tim and Joyce for sitting down for nearly two hours and just oh, and, and Michael, talking so much.
2: Guys, the four of us gushing over the movie is not bullshit. It's, it's not. It's legit. Good.
3: It's it is that good. Oh my God! It is great. I've watched it. I think ten times, and I bet you there's a way. I was going to ask Tim. I bet you there's a way for him to track how many times I watched that movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I got to stress once again: do not go into this thinking you're going to watch a kiss movie, a kiss documentary. This is about Neil Bogart, where kiss is a part of Neil Bogart's life, just like. There's significant Donna Summer. There's significant Parliament. You know, even pre-Casablanca, there's significant story in there. It is a fascinating story about Neil Bogart and his entire life, all of the labels he worked through. So watch it with that perspective. Don't don't be the geeky kiss fans who are like, oh no, 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 no. That's in that was inaccurate. You know, movies no good. No, that has nothing to do with this story. Let, let
2: me tell you, it was well acted. The emotions it brought out. I, I again, you know, this is a touching, wonderful story about a unique genius. I mean, just his lust for life. Oh my
3: god! You know what? One of the things that he said at the very end, if you watch at the very very end, and he goes when he's talking, doing the monologue, uh, at, you know, at the end. He says, you know, um, I, I, it was the soundtrack of of your life. He goes, and you probably heard of, of of Donna Summer and and Parliament and you know and Gladys Knight. He goes and a kiss, and he goes, but you know what? Probably never heard of me. And I thought that, you know, that's a very true statement because you can you can ask anybody. You know, Donna Summers? Oh yeah, absolutely. But nobody really knows the man behind all of that. And right. to me that was the most important thing. As again, as I said earlier, that he was like my inspiration. I mean, at a very young age, when you're seven years old, how the hell do you know who Neil Bogart was? I did. I totally knew who he was and I knew everything about him at that young age. So, you know, that's what this movie is about. And it's so well-written and it's so well-produced and, and it's, it's such an amazing story. But like you said, Michael, if you go into it as a kid's geek, that's not how you're supposed to go into this movie. You know, you kind of have to back away and look at it as you No know, Bogart, the person. And what an absolutely fantastic man and innovator that he was.
1: He, he
2: was really like, I, he reminded me of Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka. We are the dreamer of dreams. We, you know what that's I mean? That's perfect. The risk yes.
3: Taker. <laughs> we and, just, and now that was very good. <laughs> thank you. But that's honestly
2: how I felt watching it. Because I've always gravitated towards those people. I love fearless people. I love that. Don't take no. Is, don't tell anybody that life.
3: you can't make your dreams come true. Anyone else? Remember at the end, remember that one scene where, where the sprinklers came on? And it was so funny because he said, we didn't. And he's sitting at his desk. So I, like, I know
1: exactly so what
2: you
3: And he's like, yeah, I didn't take into consideration the smoke. Or the, or, you know, or the, or the, or what did he say? Or the, or the fire, or the flash pots or whatever he goes. Or the sprinklers. But, you
0: know, but was, that, that, that was, that was the scene where he then dances with dances his little with his daughter.
1: daughter.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Which. It, the, the shit show, the storm, the huge shit show that came out of it. That was not, was important to him. That was. His the, daughter. Shit. And that, the, that, 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 that and the next day, you notice he goes back and up because he's like, OK, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Not, nothing let him down. He just kept going and like he never was like, oh, woe is me. It's like he just kept going and nothing stopped. He's like, OK, well, you know, this is what happened. And, you know, Kiss was doomed before they even hit the stage. But here, let's do this. Let's get the, nothing. He never was like, poor me, never poor me. Which I thought was absolutely amazing.
0: Amen. You know, and, what? And, and and I and I gotta I gotta remind people watch the movie all the way through the yes. end of the credits oh, yeah. because there is stuff that goes on during the credits. I have tissues. That, yes, that 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 yes. you're gonna want to watch. So again, the, the stay there until the lights come up and the film has stopped.
3: Think about I, it. I, I, the Marvel movie where you have to watch till the end because there's pieces yep. of this you've got to watch. Yep. I tell you
2: what, I cannot wait to ha- take Liz and go and see this on the big screen.
3: You know what? It's I, not I, playing anywhere near me. Really? It is. It is not the the, the closest. It is is about, about forty minutes away.
4: Really? You're yep. you're unwilling to drive that far
3: for I'm this? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Okay. I'm, you know i thought about it and i was like you know what i really do want to see it on the big screen because if i, can I watch do too it's on my computer i really want to watch it on the big screen
0: mm-hmm. you know yeah it was that um movie. you know i don't know if we need to give homework just tell no, us what do the thought.
2: movie mm-hmm.
0: see the movie yes. let us know what you thought of the movie Yep. um I can only hope that the vast majority of our listeners are like us after you're done watching this interview. This was, this was truly an honor to have. Oh my god, Tim oh my Bogart god. and and Joyce
4: Biowitz. Doesn't get know, cooler than this. It and they're so great. Oh my
2: yeah. god, yeah. I love pe- nice they're, people. Nice people. Those are just people you know. If you just ran into them in the street, you'd go, "You're cool." You know what I mean? Yeah. They were I'm just with wonderful I'm people. With them. <laughs> like I want to, I want to have coffee with them. I, I'm the same way. That's how I'm feeling, Lisa. Like I said, I got there. I'm like, I want to go hang out with them. I, yes. they, they're just wonderful
1: people.
0: Yep, that's exactly. I mean, I I I hope we all learned a little bit more from Tim and Joyce about Casablanca, Neil, and and especially Kiss, who tried to gear this much more towards a Kiss discussion. Right. Hopefully, you learned a little something. I think it was just. It's just an honor that that they both sat down and shared their time, and their lives with Neil, with us. Yeah,
4: it was amazing, amazing. So, so
3: different perspectives too. At the same time, you know. Yep. Neil, I mean Tim, as a just a child witnessing it through through his eyes with his father, and Joyce witnessing it first as. Kiss's manager and then As Neil's wife. So yep. there's so many different perspectives to this. Oh,
4: there's thing. so much more to talk to her oh, about. My God. They oh, would both my come God. on yeah. again. Yeah, because I want to talk to Tim about being a kid and what growing up around yes, all that. I, I mean, we didn't, I, there's so much we didn't get to. Yes, well, I,
0: yes. I know, I know. I mean, in my interview with him gotcha.
4: yesterday for the Music Biz Weekly,
0: he talks about how every, every day after school, he would immediately just go to the Casablanca offices. And the kids would be hanging out at Casablanca Records all the time. And he, you know, he would be like, yeah, you know, my dad would be like showing us album cover mock-ups and asking us what we think of it. You know, he shared a story. He's like, his dad's like, what do you think of this love gun? You know, the love, pop and love. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this? He goes, oh, that's pretty cool, dad.
3: like, cool, let's do a gun that does things.
0: You know? Yeah, you know, and 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 you've got to li- listen to the music biz weekly because he also shares yeah. a story about how how his mom, Beth, gave him a violin
1: <sighs>
0: to learn how a to play, viol- yeah. play violin. And and then Tim goes to the West Coast, goes into Casablanca. Neil's like, what what what's in that? Oh, it's a violin mom gave me. And Neil says, wait a second, picks up the phone, calls somebody. Gene Simmons. A little bit later, comes into the office, takes that violin, smashes it against the wall, and gives Tim a guitar and an amp and says, Learn to play guitar.
3: What did he say? I mean, about awesome. some silver top. Because I heard, heard it. Gold, was,
0: gold, gold, yeah. Top,
1: Les
3: Paul. Gold top, excuse gold me. Gold
0: top Les Paul that he still plays Brian to this day. I don't
3: know day. what that
0: is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, any, anyway.
3: Ryan ah. to <laughs> Thank
0: you for sitting through this interview with us. This was mm-hmm. this was absolutely a, fo- a a moment. Four person fanboy. <laughs> yeah, we we all went fan. Three fanboys and one fangirl.
3: Yeah, ever
4: seen me go fangirl ever? Yeah, yeah. Um, at no. the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins game with the goalie yeah. when he came over. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When she found out the goalie was a KISS fan.
1: Yes. Um,
0: (laughs) Okay. I I don't know. There's nothing more to say. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks to all of our listeners for sitting through and joining this episode with us. Um, That's it. Three sides of the coin. We are out of here until next week. We got a lot of cool stuff being lined up here. So, yeah. If bonito. you have something to say, leave a voicemail or
2: send us a text message. Call 320 515 Voices For three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com
1: and by JessicaMarsVoice.com That's Mars with a Z.